Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, and he sent word to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came to the, with horses and chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. Verse 12, Naaman said, Are not abandoned far, far, a greater rivers uh, than Damas in Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Then his servant came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do something great, you would have done it. How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the Lord through the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Father, we pray this morning for the anointing of the Spirit to rest upon my lips of clay as I preach the word of the living God. And I ask you to anoint the hearing of this congregation that they might receive the word as seed sown into the fertile soil of their hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name, and the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to share with you about the miracle working blood of Jesus, and I want to begin right here in this story, one of my favorite Old Testament accounts of the power of God. The reason I love this story is because Naaman is an admirable man. He's a leader. The Bible says that he was a man of uh, significant influence. He had influence with the king. He had influence with the nation of Syria. He was not a Christian uh, uh, in our terms. He was not a servant of God in any way. He was a pagan. And yet God had used him to bring judgment upon the nations around him. And God had given him great military conquests and great, great military success. And so he was a man who many people wanted to be like, or many people would like to be. Some scholars believe that the armor that Naaman wore was plated in gold. So when he, when he rode through a town or a village, he would ride through with the, uh, the honor and dignity of his office as a general and as a man of influence before the king. And everybody would look at that brilliant gold armor and wish that they could be like Naaman. And yet the Bible adds this little postscript to his resume. It says that he was great, that he was highly respected, that he was influential, that he was successful. And then it says, but he was a leper. It gives us an insight into the fact that someone in this life can have it all and yet not have anything. It lets us know that you can look like the real deal on the outside, but what really counts is what's going on inside. What really counts is what's going on under that armor plated with gold. Naaman was a leper, and in the Old Testament, leprosy was a picture, a type of sin. It represented the power of sin in the life of a man. Because sin, first of all, separated men from God. Lepers could not go to the tabernacle to worship. Then leprosy separated men from their families. They had to leave their household lest they uh, contaminate their household with that leprosy. And so leprosy created separation between God and man. And it created separation between 
man and his family and friends. That's the same thing today that sin will do in your life. Sin will always separate you from God. Sin will always create a distance between you and the Lord. So uh, leprosy is a perfect picture of that, uh, th- that way that sin operates in the life of a man. It operates as a wedge between the, the creator and those whom he has created. But not only does sin do that, it also brings the, the immediate and domestic effect of bringing division and separation between families. We've seen, no doubt, in all of our lives the way that sin can affect marriage or the way that sin can affect the relationships between fathers and sons and between mothers and daughters or between in-laws. Sin is always divisive. It's always bringing apart those things that God has desired to bring together. And so Naaman is found, finds himself in this desperate situation. And yet uh, God has provided some means in his life. God has provided in his life a little girl, a little Hebrew girl, a Jewish girl that had been taken captive when Naaman was on one of his escapades going through Israel. He took captive as the spoils of war this little Jewish girl. And so there she is serving Naaman's wife as a little maid in the house of Naaman. And when she discovers that Naaman is a leper, she says to her maid, she says to her, to her master, I should say, she says to her, ma'am, I wish that Naaman, my master, was in Israel. Because in Israel we have a prophet that could heal him. In Israel we have a man of God. There's a God in Israel and his prophet is there. She begins to bear witness to the fact that she knew a God who was able to save from powerful uh, challenges in life. Friends, can I just tell you how encouraged I am to hear about a little girl, a young lady who had a testimony. How many of you want to see your children telling that same testimony to the world and saying, I wish that you knew my God. I wish that you knew my Savior. Come on, somebody. Is there anybody in here that has a testimony this morning about what God can do in your life? This little girl said to Naaman, I wish that you were in Israel. And so he went to Israel And through a series of events, he arrives at the door of the prophet Elisha. He comes to the prophet Elisha with gold and silver and precious clothing. He brought the things that he normally used to get stuff. He brought the the things that that he thought he would need in order to buy a miracle, in order to buy a healing. What he didn't realize was that the God of heaven does not sell miracles. What he didn't realize was that Yahweh does not put up for sale what could only be received by grace through faith. So Naaman was about to learn the lesson that each man must learn. That you cannot buy the favor of God. You cannot purchase a miracle from God. There is not enough money in an offering that you can give to receive the the cleansing of sin. There is only one way to be cleansed from sin. And that is to come to God through Jesus by faith. And so the prophet Naaman, pardon the prophet Elisha, sends his servant to Naaman. He doesn't even go himself to the door. And he says, go and tell Naaman to wash in the Jordan River seven times. This was not what Naaman expected to hear. Naaman wanted to hear that uh, he was going to be cleansed immediately. He wanted the prophet maybe to wave his hand over him and do some miraculous work. But instead he gave him a simple instruction. Go and wash in the, in the Jordan River seven times. Naaman was not about to do that. 
He was an arrogant man, a man full of pride. And so he says, are not Abana and far, far greater rivers? The rivers of Damascus are crystal clear rivers. You can see clear through to the bottom. And yet when I crossed that Jordan the other day, it's a murky, dirty river, much like maybe the San Antonio River. Or the Rio Grande, you know. You have to imagine Texas rivers and you'll get what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the Jordan. And so Naaman was saying, I'm not going to go wash in that dirty river. But he didn't realize, friends, that the Jordan was a picture. It was a type of the blood of Jesus. It was a type of the cleansing that God offers. When you look at the blood of Jesus, you may say, that's, that's, that's dirty. It's, uh, it's disgusting, a man's blood. I don't want to think about that. And many churches today don't want to sing about the blood. And many preachers today don't want to preach about the blood. And like, like Naaman, they think there are better rivers. They think that there are better rivers in religion. They think there are better ri rivers in entertainment. They think there are better rivers in education. But friend, there is only one river that cleanses the soul from sin. And it is the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the only river, the only place where man can find cleansing from his sin. Naaman would have to learn to humble himself in order to receive his miracle from God. And I tell you, friend, the way to God is always humility. The Bible says that God looks far away at the proud, but he looks and draws near to the humble. Now just think about that. When somebody's walking down the sidewalk of your house, you see them coming, don't you? Especially if it's somebody that you really don't want to be your guest right at that moment. God says when the, pride, when the proud come near him, he sees them coming. He says, oh, here they come. And, and he, he, he looks far away at them. He has no interest in the proud. He has no interest in helping self-righteous and self-satisfied men and women. Why, friends? Because pride is sin against God. Pride leads us to believe that we have what it takes, that we don't need God, that we don't need God's answer. Pride will lead you to the fall. Pride will lead you to despair and to destruction. Pride will always leave you in the place of absolute wretchedness in your spiritual life. Friend, the Bible said that God draws near to the humble. That means when you humble yourself, you say, God, I can't. God, I don't have the ability. I don't have the strength. I can't cleanse myself. I can't save myself. I can't deliver myself. That God draws near to you, and he does what you cannot do in your own life. Naaman learned this lesson that day. His servant said to him, sir, he said, sir, if you had been asked for a hard thing, you would have done it. And I want you to just think about this because religion always asks for hard things. He was saying to Naaman, Naaman, uh, if, you, if the prophet had asked you to give a million dollars, you would have given it. If the prophet would have asked you to build a big mega church for God, you would have built it. If the prophet had asked you to go and fight a battle against one of Israel's enemies, you would have done that too. But he's asked you to do a simple thing. To go and wash in the river seven times. Friends, God has given you a simple instruction. If you want to be cleansed from the leprosy of sin. If you want to be cleansed from the power of the darkness that rages in the human heart. The instruction is simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You may say, but it's too simple. I need to do more. I want to do more. 
No, friend, there is no more that you can do. Salvation is by grace through faith, and that not of yourself, so that no man can boast. God has seen to it that only those who come to him in simple faith will get into heaven, so that no one will ever enter into heaven and say, I paid for this. I bought my way here. I made my way to this place. No, friend, every one of us in heaven will have to say, I am here because I was washed in the blood of Jesus. I am here because I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the miracle working power of the blood. The old hymn says, are you washed in the blood? That's the question I want to ask you this morning. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you given your heart to him? Has he washed you clean of your sin and your impurity? You say, Pastor, I don't think God could uh, help me. I don't think God could forgive me. You don't know the things I've done or the places I've been or the ways I've failed. You're right, friend, I don't know. But it doesn't much matter because there is no one that God cannot save. There is no one that the blood cannot cleanse. There is no addiction that the blood cannot break. There is no power of darkness that the sin that the, and sin and curse that the power of the blood cannot overcome. All you need to do is call on Jesus today and his blood will make you whole and his blood will save you and make you a new man and a new woman in Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen if you believe that. Now we see another miracle of the blood. This one is found in 1 Samuel chapter 7. In 1 Samuel 7, we find the nation of Israel surrounded by the Philistines. Israel is down in the valley, the valley of Mizpah. You know that when uh, you study the uh, strategic way of the military, that you never want to fight a battle in a hole. You never want to fight a battle in a valley. It is the worst place to be. If you're up on a mountain, at least you have the advantage of uh, uh, being able to see the enemy as he comes. But when you're down in the valley, you're at their disposition. You're vulnerable to attack. That was the place where Israel found itself. And so it called upon the prophet of God. He called for Samuel. That old prophet came to them. And he gave them a simple remedy. He said, bring me a lamb, a lamb that's less than a year old, a lamb that was innocent. And you might say, what does a lamb have to do with winning a battle? Well, frankly, it has nothing to do with winning a battle from the natural perspective. But you see, God's answer is never about what you see in the natural. God's answer is always spiritual. And so Samuel says, bring me a lamb, a little lamb, an innocent lamb. You see, friends, that lamb was a picture in the Old Testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. It pointed to the fact that a day would come when a lamb would come to the earth and he would be the sacrifice for many. In the book of Genesis, it was one lamb per man. In the book of Exodus, it became a lamb per family. In the book of Leviticus, it became a lamb for the nation. But in the Gospel of John, we read John the Baptist introducing Jesus. And he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is that Lamb of God. Jesus is that one who has come to give his life as a ransom for the many. And they took that Lamb and they offered it in that sacrifice on that, in, in that valley, in that low place, in that place where there was sure defeat. 
And I'm sure the Philistines, when they saw this, they said, what is Israel doing? They're going to a lamb for help. They're going to a sacrifice for help. The friends, they didn't realize that that lamb was not, was not merely a little animal, but it was a picture. It represented the person of the, of, of the Son of God. It represented the one who has all power and all dominion. That lamb represented the creator of the heavens and the earth. That lamb created the, uh, represented the alpha and the omega. That lamb today is still able to deliver you from out of the very clutches of the devil. Maybe this morning you say, Pastor, I am in a valley. I am in a low place. I am surrounded by my enemy. I am ready to be defeated. I am ready to be destroyed. Can I tell you, friend, go to the Lamb. Go to Jesus. Jesus alone can save. Jesus alone can deliver. Jesus alone can bring freedom into your life. And so they offered that sacrifice. And when they had offered that sacrifice to God, the Scripture tells us that the Lord caused a sound to be heard over the Philistine army. And when that sound was heard over the Philistines, suddenly the Philistines became afraid. And they started to fight one another. And that war that they had prepared for, for Israel became a war amongst themselves. They scattered from the presence of Israel and from the presence of God. Because our God is able to save. Did you hear me this morning? I said our God is able to save. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're going through. But I know this. Our God is able to save. The blood of Jesus is able to deliver. And he is able to deliver this morning by the power of the Spirit. There is no enemy you can face which the blood of Jesus cannot overcome. And now I want to share with you the final miracle of the blood this morning. We find it in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2. In Nehemiah chapter 1, we learn of the desperate condition of the nation of Israel. Israel uh, had been taken exile into Babylon for 70 years. Now the Persians are in power. And the gates of the city of Jerusalem have been destroyed. And its walls have been torn down. And this city that God had caused his name to dwell on, this city... Uh, where God was going to, had, 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 uh, had made his presence known in Solomon's temple, was now surrounded by gates and walls that were in ruins. And Nehemiah, when he heard this, he began to weep and mourn. He began to cry out to God and to ask God to forgive Israel for the things that they had done, for the ways that they had failed. He began to ask God for the restoration of the city of Jerusalem. Can I tell you this morning that God is looking for someone who will weep and mourn over America. God is looking for a church that will pray for the restoration of this nation. A church that will say, God, forgive our sins and heal our land. Is there anybody in this church that will say, God, I'll be that man. I'll be that woman. I'll stand in prayer because America needs restoration. America needs deliverance. And that deliverance and that restoration begins here in the house of God. So as Nehemiah prayed, God gave him a plan. And that plan included three things. He needed three things from the king. He needed, first of all, permission. He needed to be given the ability to go and restore the temple. The second thing he needed was he needed protection. He needed to go 
and uh, travel about 800 miles through different nations. And he needed to be protected on the way. And finally, he needed provision. He needed somebody to pay for it. He needed the resources to be able to get this impossible task done. And so as he prayed, the Bible tells us that finally the day came when he was at work. His job was nothing less than being the cupbearer to the king. His job was to taste the king's food and the king's wine so that if the food was poisoned or the wine was poisoned, he would die instead of the king. How would you like to apply for that job? Nobody in here wants that job. But that was Nehemiah's job. This meant that he was trusted by the king. He was the trustworthy advisor to the king. And so Nehemiah comes in this day into the presence of the king. But he doesn't come empty-handed. Because he's coming before the man who has the power to give him the permission and the protection and the provision that he needs. So he comes into the presence of the king with a cup in his hand. He comes with a cup of wine in his hand. Now those of you who know the word of God, you know what this cup represents. It is an Old Testament type of the blood of Jesus. Jesus told us on the night before his betrayal and crucifixion, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. You see, Nehemiah, as he comes into the presence of the king, is giving us a picture of how to get answered prayer. He says, he's teaching us that if you want permission, and if you want protection, and if you want provision, when you come into the presence of the king of kings and the Lord of lords, don't come empty-handed. And sure enough, don't come on your own merit. Don't come on the basis of your own good works. Don't come on the basis of the things you've done or the way you've lived or the good charity you've done. Come on the simple basis of this, that Jesus Christ shed his blood for you, that he has adopted you into the family of God and come in the precious name of Jesus because that name alone is able to give you access to the presence of the king and able to give you the answer that you need when you pray. Jesus said to his disciples, before now, you have not prayed in this way. But from now on, when you pray, you will pray in my name. And when you pray in my name, my Father will hear you. And he will give you the request that you have before God. This morning, I believe that you have a need in your life. I know that there is a situation, perhaps, that you need God to intervene on. A way that you need God to minister in your life. Can I tell you, friend? Come in the name of Jesus. Come boldly before the throne of grace. Come with the cup in your hand. Not the cup of self-righteousness. Not the cup of pride or arrogance. But come with the precious blood of Jesus. Come in the full assurance that God hears you when you pray. Because you've been given access to God through the new and living way. Which is the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can give you access to the throne of God? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It is the blood of Jesus alone that has given you access to God. So don't linger. Don't loiter on the outside of your miracle. Go into the throne room of grace. Go boldly. Go in faith. Go in confidence. Our God is able. Our God saves. Our God delivers. And our God 
is with you and for you. This morning, we're going to come to the Lord's table together. And we're going to receive the symbols of the body and the blood of Jesus. When Jesus gave us the communion, he taught us like this. He said, this bread is my body. In the Greek, that word body is the word summa. You and I know it as the word sum. It's a mathematical term which refers to the whole. It refers to the, to the completion of a number. This morning, I want you to reflect on that word because Jesus said, I'm giving you my sum. I'm giving you my all. I'm giving you my whole self. When he went to the cross, he gave us his, himself. He gave us all of him. He gave us the totality of his being. When he died on that cross, he didn't hold back, but he gave his all for you. Then he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. He said, I have made a covenant for you with God. Listen, friends, he called it a new covenant because the old covenant was a covenant between God and man. That old covenant was a simple one. But it went, it went like this. If you will obey all the words of this law, God said, I will bless you. And if you disobey one word of this law, all of these curses will come upon you. That was the curse of the law. That was the covenant that was made with Moses at Mount Sinai and the people of Israel. And the people tried with all their might to fulfill that covenant. But their wicked hearts and the holiness of God made it impossible for man to fulfill the terms of that covenant. And so God told the prophet Jeremiah, looking into the future, he said, Jeremiah, I will make a new covenant with my people, and I will write my law on their hearts, and I will teach them to obey me. When Jesus came, he was the fulfillment of that prophetic word to Jeremiah. And he said, this is a cup of the new covenant in my blood. Now we have a new covenant. The covenant made on Sinai was a covenant between God and man. It was a covenant conditioned on man's obedience to God. But we have now a new covenant made at Mount Calvary. And this covenant is also between God and man. But this covenant is between God and the man, Jesus Christ. And the covenant is simple. If the man, Jesus Christ, would fulfill the works of the law, then he would be able to justify the many. Friends, Jesus came and he lived a perfect, sinless life. And he justified the many through his perfection. And when he died on the cross, he made available a way of access to God. And so this is the simplicity of the covenant that you and I have with God. That if you will believe in him, you can be saved. If you will believe in him, you can be delivered. If you will believe in him, you can have the provision and the protection that you need to fulfill the work of God in your days. This covenant is symbolized in the precious little cup that you're going to receive this morning. Now when you take that little cup, it's just a little plastic cup. It's not sacred or holy in the sense that you, you don't take it home and pray to the cup. And when you look at that cup, you're looking at it the way the Philistines looked at the lamb. What? This little cup? That little lamb? This little gospel? 
But the Bible tells us that the world looks at the preaching on the cross and they call it foolishness. They think it's weakness. They don't get it. How could something so small, so, so uh, seemingly in, incapable be of any great use to anyone or great power? See, friends, that cup represents all the power in all of the world. That cup represents the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That bread represents the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It represents our creator, our redeemer, our justifier, our savior. It represents our Lord, our master. It represents our hope, our joy, our peace. It represents the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The God who knows no impossibilities. The God who can heal the sick, save the lost, deliver the captive, and put at liberty those who have been abused. And this morning as we come to the Lord's table, I want you to come in faith. I want you to know that as we receive the Lord's table, that everything that you need is in Jesus. Say that with me this morning. Everything I need is in Jesus. Do you believe that this morning? I said, do you believe that this morning? Think about a cupcake. You guys like cupcakes? Nobody likes cupcakes in here. When you make cupcakes, I've never made cupcakes, but I've seen it happen. And you take flour and sugar and eggs, I guess, baking soda. Is this about right, ladies? You put it all in there. And then you get a cupcake. And if I just take a crumb of that cupcake, in that crumb, there's egg, and there's flour, and there's sugar, and there's baking soda. Everything that's in the cupcake is in the crumb. Listen, friends. Everything that's in Jesus, everything that's in Jesus is represented in that cup and in that bread this morning. Righteousness is in Jesus. Holiness is in Jesus. Peace with God is in Jesus. And everything you need is in him. So this morning when we come to this altar and we receive the Lord's table, we're going to receive it together and then we're going to pray. And we're going to pray for miracles. We're going to pray for God to unleash powerful works of God in your life and in the life of your family. Because he has promised it to you. And because he has said to us as a church, you are walking in a season of miracles. It's time to recognize it by faith and lay claim to it by faith. In Jesus' name. Say it again. Everything I need is in Jesus. Would you stand together with me, please? I'm going to ask those who are going to serve the Lord's table to please come and take their place. And while they do, I want you to just worship for a few moments and prepare your heart to receive the elements of the Lord's table this morning. Hallelujah.